So I just read this article in the New York Times about how technology companies were trying to adjust more flexible practices to help parents who were whose schedules were more complicated because they're caring for children who are home or doing distance learning. And these companies like Facebook, Google, Microsoft, really trying to be thoughtful about how to support parents in the workplace who now have these like dramatically modified responsibilities at home. And of course, that's created some friction and frustration among employees who are not parents who are watching these parents seemingly get these extra perks or extra benefits. Freeloaders. Freeloaders. Yeah, the article made me sad, actually, because in all of the companies that I work with in the context of my consulting work, that's a big conversation as CEOs and leaders and senior leadership teams are really asking, how do we keep parents employed? How do we especially keep mothers, but but both mothers and fathers, how do we keep them engaged and productive during a time when the demands on their time are significantly different than they've ever been before? And of course, flexibility and some extra leave and alternative schedules is one of the things that I always recommend. So to see that many companies are doing it and trying to do it well, but it's not always supported is it's a bummer. It's frustrating. Yeah. It's a, I don't know, it's the backlash culture, right? Everybody wants to whine about whatever is, isn't in their favor is how I think about it. I think this, there's a substantial, substantial burden placed on parents who had to suddenly start homeschooling or um, hybrid schooling or taking care of, of kids. I mean, I know multiple people who have three kids under the ages of eight or under the ages of six, and both parents worked full time and suddenly are at home with these three kids. You and I have three kids, but they're at least older. You know, they were what, nine, nine and 13, I believe, when the quarantine started. And even that was for both of our productivity. I mean, it was catastrophic for mine. I know I went down to a quarter time for a while and then half time and then kind of worked my way back up. But it took weeks and weeks to try to sort it out. And without kids, for me, I mean, I would have been sad about Corona, obviously, but it would have been business as usual because I've been working from home for almost 20 years and just having to work from home wouldn't have changed anything. But the children dramatically impacted that, our ability to just keep going on a normal day-to-day basis because we were used to them being elsewhere for six, seven hours a day. Yeah. So I think on the podcast today, we want to talk through some of what We've learned, and then some of the more general best practices surrounding the challenge of how to help support kids in school and homeschool, hybrid school, or distance learning, or whatever model your kids are doing, but also maintain some semblance of professional productivity and engagement with your business. So this is a conversation about parents, but I also want to note that whether you have decided to have children or are a parent yourself, I hope that you will at least consider the importance of this conversation because frankly, we're all going to bear the burdens of children who are not well educated or not well cared for. So there is, I think, a societal responsibility to, even if you don't have kids individually, but to sort of think about, hey, how can we all pitch in to care for this younger generation, given the challenge and the parameters of the pandemic. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring 
some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So whether you ever wanted to be a homeschooling parent or not, (laughs) welcome to the new reality. Yeah. And I mean, I think we should kick it off and say, we have homeschooled, we homeschooled our oldest son on and off for several years. And homeschooling, true homeschooling, where we were in control of the curriculum is very different than this kind of hybrid model where they still go to school online and they have a teacher they're accountable to. But I didn't know all the logins to the software they were using. I didn't know the assignments. And yet I was somehow responsible for kind of keeping kids on track during the day. So I I would say that I wouldn't equate homeschooling in particular with what we saw, I guess what we're seeing right now and then what we were seeing in the spring. there There are some differences in being in full control versus working with a a teacher at a public school or a charter school or whatever. Yeah. So we can dive into some of that later, but basically the the challenge of educating children at home is, is significant. And I think it's important to start off this conversation with a general blanket statement of dear parents everywhere who want the best for your precious little children. This is a time to lower your expectations. (laughs) It's not maybe a popular opinion, but I think one of the things that makes at-home education so challenging for people, especially people who are new to it, is they feel this tremendous burden of the weight of pouring in educational material and really developing their kiddos. And it can get really intense in terms of a parent's sense of obligation, as well as the potential pressure that they're putting on their kid. So I like to start this conversation by just like a blanket, like let's just take a breath and lower your expectations around what can meaningfully be done in this new model. Yeah, I think lowering expectations both of your own productivity as well as perhaps, it's a tough one, but it's like maybe my child isn't going to get straight A's this quarter and maybe every assignment won't be turned in on time like they usually do because there is so much chaos. And even to the point of, I remember, you know, I, I tend to cook dinners most nights. I started just letting that go. And and I was ordering out two nights a week at least, sometimes three, especially in the early pandemic. Part of that was to support restaurants, but part of it was I just didn't have the energy. I just needed the time to work. I needed something. And we eat pretty healthy. And so eating out that much, not only is it expensive, but it's not necessarily how we want to live our lives health-wise. But That was part of this temporary lowering of expectations and just saying, we're not going to do this for 10 years and it's not the optimal arrangement, but let's just ease up on ourselves and on our kids for now. Yeah, I think a lot of entrepreneurial parents, because of the way that we're wired, we want to seize the opportunity, right? And I know that my brother and sister entrepreneurs are out there thinking like, okay, well, this is the time that you can really learn to code, or this is the time that my kid can really jump ahead and begin to do some more advanced math or really learn the basics of physics and maybe they're in third grade. And that's great and all, but this is probably not the optimization time. This is a little bit more of the let's learn how to cope effectively amidst really challenging situation and not, not again, have this pressure of believing that we can use this time to our secret advantage or use this time to really jumpstart our kids' love of a certain subject or field or our kids' you know, dedication 
to learning. Yeah. And if you're, if your child is self-motivated and wants to go off and do that stuff, that's great. But I think that choosing your battles and trying to prioritize and then picking the top 30, 40% of things you need to get done and letting everything else fall is kind of the way that I stayed sane personally during that time was just letting a lot of things that seemed important a month before not get done for a while. Pressure is never helpful for sure. But one of the strategies that I think is really helpful is making sure that there is a a pretty consistent, flexible plan around what the days look like. And, you know, I think this means setting out the basic outline of a, of a schedule. So for us, there's this expectation that like everybody is down having breakfast and dressed during the week by eight. So some kids have responsibilities where they have to start something at 8.30, some kids don't, but everybody is kind of up and moving and going and dressed and ready for the day at a certain time. And then every day we have a whiteboard where we write the basics of the schedule for all the kids so that people know when lunch is, people know when break times are, during those break times. One of us is responsible for either taking them out some more, taking them on a bike ride, getting some exercise or doing a little activity with them. So having a, a general framework so that everyone in the family knows what to expect is, of course, going to contribute to a lot of sanity. But it does have to be flexible. More flexibility is required during the season than I think has ever been required before. Yeah, and I think a couple of things that, that we did that I think worked well. You started writing a schedule on the whiteboard, and we actually varied that over time. Like originally, it was pretty structured, and it was like a half hour or one hour blocks. And then... I, I think that was helpful for school stuff. I think once school ended and they went into summer, we kept doing that and that was less needed. Again, our kids are older, but the free time they had to kind of tool around, I think wound up being a, a benefit. But the other thing that really helped is you and I communicating the night before or morning of and basically looking at our calendars and saying, who has calls at what time? When do you have flex time? Can you take the kids for a bike ride between nine and 10? Can you have lunch with the kids? And our, again, our kids are old enough to make their own lunch, but it was a matter of us trying to spend time with them during the day so they weren't just kind of hanging out all day. And I think that could have been like a major source of conflict, and it wasn't. And I think there were a couple things there. One, I had certainly, I think both of us, but I had definitely lowered my expectation of my productivity during that time. And I think that that made it easier for me to just say yes a lot to whatever whatever we needed and move things around and have flexibility. And then the other thing I think was you and I communicated often about that. And we're really deliberate about daily kind of stand up, setting everything up and, and trying to figure out the plan. And then if the plan, the kids almost never stuck to the plan. Let's be honest. You know, they stuck to it when it said, when it said iPad at three, they did. When it said play your cello at two, they didn't. But it was close enough. They stuck to it to their advantage. Yeah, but it was close. I think the broad communication of expectations has been really helpful. Like our kids understand that at least on paper, every day they're supposed to be helpful. They're supposed to do some chores. Every day they are supposed to move their bodies, get some exercise, play outside. Every day they're supposed to play their instrument. Every day they're going to be reading. Every day they're going to be tuning in with their school material. So it's sort of like these, there are these five kind of categories of things. And hopefully they can at least keep those in mind of like, this is what a successful day looks like in our family right now on a school day. So of course, one of the big challenges is when do you work as a parent? And I think there are you know, lots of ways to slice and dice that. And again, it comes down to clear communication. But one of the ways that... 
I have liked to do that is to chunk my work time a little bit differently. I think of like four major blocks of work time. And these don't, these don't work for everybody, but at least one model is that there's a, a chunk of work that happens from like 6 to 10 a.m., kind of the early shift. I love working the, during this time. I like the quiet. I'm very productive. I'm very thoughtful. It's a good time of, of day for me to work. And then there's kind of a chunk from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., that's sort of the middle of the day. And this may be a good time to sort of trade off with your partner. For example, if you do the early shift, maybe you spend a chunk of the middle of the day with the kids. There's another chunk from two to six, and then maybe another chunk from like eight to midnight or the, the late shift, so to speak. And it's absolutely not perfect, but I think if you can at least think about having two chunks of work time in a day that are reasonably set aside, that either your partner is covering the kids during that time or there's some childcare or the kids are independent if they need to be, that you're at least looking at the calendar and anticipating that I can get some solid work time in. And it may look very, very different than the eight to four, nine to five sort of traditional work schedule that many of of us have become used to. I think for me, I didn't do that as much, which is interesting because normally I do work in kind of chunks like that, but my days were chopped up with calls and podcast recordings and live streams. And I don't know, I was kind of on an hour, off an hour, and then shutting down by like five or six in the evening, depending on when dinner was. So I took a different approach to it, but also I was, I did feel scattered during that time. So perhaps you you know, approaching it that way would have, would have been better. I mean, you have such a, your work schedule is different than mine because you are kind of always on calls. I mean, that's really your job. Whereas mine is like a mix of like some calls, some podcast recording, but then just heads down work where I'm in a Trello board or in email or, you know, spending time doing that stuff. And I think for me, oftentimes I would take, I would do the podcast recording and then I would head down with my laptop and be with the kids to kind of be tech supporter to help them while I was doing lower priority things. So I was kind of doing a, a mix and match model, which worked fine for a bit. And then I guess a, couple, a few weeks in, I was like, man, I can't do this anymore. So I think it helped with the transition, but I, I do think longer term, probably separating it for me was, was a better option. I think no matter how you do it, the, the point is to really stop, take an honest inventory of what you most need in your work life in terms of uninterrupted hours, which hours of the day are optimal for you in terms of focus and productivity. You don't need to get eight hours of work done. The mo most of us are quite functional and great at our jobs and growing our businesses and companies without this traditional eight-hour model. I think that's pretty well been debunked at this point. But if you need quiet in the morning, or maybe you need a few hours of creative thought time on a Saturday afternoon, the point is to sort of look at the calendar, map it out, and then communicate with the other adults in your life and frankly with your kids so that they understand when you're absolutely accessible to them, when you're kind of available if there's a need, and when you really, really should not be interrupted and parsing out that time and just clearly communicating to everyone in the family. And again, it might look very different than a traditional work schedule, and that's totally fine. It doesn't matter. Throw out the model, look at what's actually helpful and meaningful and important to you, and ask for that and, you know, try to negotiate with the other, other people in your household the best you can. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it is knowing what you do need, because often I'll, times I'll feel myself saying, hey, I'm going to chill out. I don't actually need to do that much work. 
but I'll be in that mindset and then days go by and weeks go by and I find myself being really stressed that I'm not getting enough work done, but I'm not linking it to the fact that during the day, I'm just kind of not asking for what I need in a sense. So I, I think different personalities are able to identify that, that stuff differently. I think the same kind of process is also really helpful for our kids. So as you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, there's traditional homeschooling where parents are selecting and designing curriculum based around their model of education, their philosophy of education, who their kids are, what their kids are interested in. It's a very, it's a absolutely customized approach where parents are assuming the full responsibility for the curriculum. And then of course, many of us are now doing a hybrid model or a distance learning model where I've seen it broken down in a couple different ways. One is where kids kind of have a list of things to do or to read or to watch on YouTube, essentially, that comes from a teacher. And then they have check-ins around completing that work and submitting it for review from a teacher. And then there's another hybrid model or distance learning model, I guess, where kids are on classroom with a live teacher who's either providing a lecture or they're interacting with the teacher and students via Zoom or another form of technology all day during the day. And then, of course, some of that is broken down in different ways where kids are going to in-person school sometime and then doing some distance learning or going all in-person. We don't need to hash out all of those systems. But I think the important thing for kids is to think about each of your children and what are their strengths and what are their needs. So for example, we we shifted schools for one of our kids because last year he had a hybrid or rather a distance learning model where he was just receiving kind of a list of work to do and just had the responsibility to complete that work. He was doing fine in that. But this is our oldest, he's 14, and he probably more than any of our kids right now has some weaknesses in social skills and social interaction. And so we decided to move him to a school that has also a distance learning model, but there's much more interaction with other kids and with a teacher. And to be quite honest, he doesn't love that. He'd rather just sort of check it and be done. But thinking about what he needs in his development and what what are his weaknesses that we want to help support that felt like the best shift for him. There may be some of you who are doing a distance learning model where you're realizing that your kid is really not thriving and is frustrated with the amount of time in front of the computer, is just struggling to get work done. And I think in those situations, it's worth asking if a more traditional homeschool model isn't going to be better, where you are, again, tailoring the curriculum to the needs and interests of your kiddo, and you're eliminating the external teacher. I think that can be a really helpful model for kids who are struggling. And it's just really not good for most kids to be sitting in front of Zoom for four or five or six hours a day. Yeah, we definitely evaluated that. Having been like homeschoolers for a few years, we could see the stark difference. And and having our son or having us to be accountable to this external source where we didn't control the curriculum, we didn't control the logins, didn't really know what, what all the assignments should be, that was a challenge for me personally. And I evaluated straight up pulling the kids out of school and, and just homeschooling them now. It would have been a different fit for different ones. And I, I actually think we probably would have done it for one, maybe two of them if we had done it. In the end, I mean, it was only, what, six, eight weeks of, of this hybrid model. And I, I just didn't think it was worth starting kids up in the middle of the school year to do that. Here you have to like 
if you homeschool kids, they have to take like a state test and just all the headache of that didn't seem worth it for the short amount of time. But now that we're moving into this new normal, it's definitely worth considering. I agree. I think for some kids and for some parents, it'll just be easier to actually consider just finding classes online or cobbling them together and and kind of running your own curriculum. It's, It's daunting at the start, but once it gets rolling, it's not as much work as it sounds like. And I think it it allows you to really think through, if you have the time and energy, it allows you to really think through what is your model of education and what's the best fit for the kiddos that you have. And I, I want to just really make the point too that learning is much more than academics. I think we've really had this very narrow definition of what learning means. And schools are very much about learning, but they're also a lot about socialization and citizenship and, you know, kind of learning to participate in the world at large. And those are great skills, but they don't translate super well to Zoom. So I think when you think about those, like what you're really trying to accomplish as you're helping your child to develop, chores are learning, play is learning, cooking is learning, art is learning, Watching great movies is learning. Reading, of course, is probably the best learning strategy. Playing music is learning. Organizing is learning. There's lots of ways that kids can use their days that are not, again, this traditional like staring at a computer screen, watching a teacher or filling out a worksheet or, I mean, there's certainly a place for that in some ways, but there are great ways to teach history through watching either documentaries or or watching historical fiction movies. There's kids who spend their days reading. That's an incredible way to make your brain rich and full. And it doesn't require a lot of like crazy planning on a part of a parent. So I think that's what I mean when I say lower your expectations. Like maybe all the math sheets don't get done, but if the kid spends three hours reading or drawing or doing something like that, like there's real value in that. So maybe that's a good use of the day. I think the same is true of lots of play activities, Legos, creative play and imaginative play. Let the kids do that more you know, as much as they want, as much as you can keep, they can keep themselves busy doing it. Such value in terms of both neurological development and creative expression. So I really think that it's a great time to fight against this narrow interpretation of what learning or education is and let kids be a little bit more free roam and understand that as also a really valuable investment in who they're becoming and how they're developing. Yeah, I think something we do to help that is we buy, within reason, unlimited art supplies and have a big bin of stuff. And that can get messy at times and it's frustrating, but they do have free reign of stuff like that. I buy a lot of books. We buy audiobooks. We let the kids listen to podcasts and they will sit in the basement and build and create and make a stage and make puppets and put on a puppet show or they use hot glue and build like an entire little mini city out of cardboard. And that's just such a valuable Dang, I mean, I again, I remember back to being a kid and I was doing creative stuff too. I remember making stop motion videos with G.I. Joe figures and an old VHS, you know, a camcorder that recorded to VHS and the videos were clunky as hell, but it took me a few hours and I made something that was, that was interesting. And I think there's a lot of benefit to having some space to do that. And that is something that we were doing during this homeschooling is trying to help them get their work done. And what we found is it was about two to three hours of focused schoolwork And the rest of the day, it was like, okay, practice your instrument and exercise, and then let's figure out a 
kind of a healthy mental something for you to do that isn't just staring at a screen? I think generally speaking, most kids are way overscheduled and their lives are much more structured than is probably good for them. I think of the kid who's, you know, going to school from 8.30 to 3 and then going to one or two after school activities and has lessons and that stuff is good, but there's so much value in open space and time. And we wrote about this in our, our book, but one of the things that really stands out to me in all of the interviews that I've done with founders about their early life experience is that almost across the board, many of the successful founders that I've talked with have or had as children significant amounts of time to tinker, to play, to invent, to mess around, to explore. And I think that as long as we can do that safely and within some parameters, this year of education might be a really nice invitation to get back to open space and time as a model of developing young minds, even developing creative and entrepreneurial curiosities, and of really letting kids own their time in a way that's impossible in our traditional school, after school kind of life. I think another thing that's really important to note that can feel like another to do, but it's really imperative that in the midst of all of this schooling conversation, whether it's hybrid or homeschool or whatever you're doing, it's that we don't forget the importance of big physical movement for children. It's, I think, easy for working parents, and I'm guilty of this for sure, of I'm parking myself in front of my computer for my six hours of Zoom calls, and I don't get up and move, or I get up and move really early in the morning or late at night when my kids don't necessarily see that. But kids really need lots of big movement, and we definitely do them a disservice if we let them park in front of the computer without attending to their needs for physical activity. And once again, there's at least in our area, not a lot of structured sports and some of the activities that they normally would participate in are not available. So it becomes part of the the schooling curriculum, I guess, to really think about how to engage in big physical movement. And we've been able to get creative with this because our kids are old enough that they're really valuing their autonomy now. So we, we send them on bike rides to go buy bread at our like local Great Harvest Bread Company, or we'll send them to get dog treats at the pet store that's within a couple miles of our house. And so I think those are great ways to practice both autonomy, to do some life skills, to do some math, and to get some physical exercise in. So the more that you can send your kids on those kinds of activities, if it's safe in your area, I think the the better you're, you're integrating different kinds of education, but also really, really remembering that physical component. Yeah, you've done a great job. I mean, this is one of your strengths and and one of your superpowers that you bring to the family is getting everybody both sometimes outside and sometimes exercise. And those two don't have to be the same thing, especially in the winter. But I think it's it's always built into our schedule every day. And the kids just accept it as fact that they will practice their instruments, they will eat these meals, and they will exercise. And I think that's a good habit to build, especially during this time when it is easy to just put kids in front of a screen for six or seven hours so that we can get work done. That would be the easy way out. And I think at times that may be necessary, but I I think most of the time we've tried to figure out more creative ways around that. I think the bottom line in this conversation is just to continue to remember that this is hard. 
It's hard for us as parents. It's hard for our children. It's hard for our team members or the people who we work with in our businesses who are also having to shift and adjust, even if it's just around our modified schedule. So this is a time when mental health becomes of paramount importance and the sense in which we are understanding that everyone's using a lot more bandwidth just to get through the day than may have been true a year ago. So leaving lots of space for letting the kids have a day where they do watch two movies and they just sort of edge out. Letting us have days where we take the pressure off or we allow ourselves a little more downtime or quiet time than may have been typical of us in the past. Of communicating around when we're feeling stressed or when we're feeling worried or when we feel like, oh, I'm just not doing a good job at managing everything having places where we can verbalize that, whether it's with our partner, even with our children to some extent, having those conversations within our family, and then as needed, having professionals that we can draw on or, or turn to when we, we just need a little bit of help and perspective. I'm really, really thoughtful too about families where there's a kiddo who has a learning disability or a longstanding mental health concern that I think this is challenging all of us because there's less in-person support than there's ever been. And so as parents, we're picking up the slack and, and that can be just a big burden. So the need for self-care and open conversation about emotion, I think is also part of this, part of surviving this well. Yeah, I think it, it comes down to anything else that we do while we're, you know, I think of it as like, while I'm running my business, I have to prioritize things. I have to make hard decisions. I have to make, sometimes make sacrifices and I think this is another, it's another thing to manage both mentally and kind of schedule wise and to be, try to be pretty deliberate about it. I think like any collaboration at a company, this is a collaboration between you, well, you know, you and your significant other, your partner who are trying to together handle stuff that is, it's not clear cut and it's not easy and it's not, it's not always easy to say, yes, I can take two hours off in the middle of my day to handle this, but that's... It's kind of been the, I think for me, it's saying yes a lot, probably more than sometimes I want to just to get it done and to, to make sure everybody's, that we're all functioning at a high level and then to have these lowered expectations, which is just pains me to even say that phrase, but it, it really is helpful to not have this constant pressure of all the kids need to get straight A's. Everyone needs to eat organic and exercise for an hour every day and, and do exactly what the schedule says at all times. I think schedules are good guidelines and all of this is something that it's helped me to hold looser than perhaps my personality would normally. This is just the season where we're all learning about patience and flexibility and kindness when we're stressed and learning to ask for what we need and speak how we feel. We're learning how to be together in a time when we can't be anywhere else. So we're sort of like stuck in making the most of it. And I think those are really, really important lessons. So maybe we should just modify our lower expectations mantra to, to adjust expectations. So there may be less progress in memorizing the parts of the cell, but maybe a lot more progress in learning how to be emotionally intelligent and how to be human and how to be a really 
wise contributor to a family, how to be a citizen in a family. Those might be the things that we focus on this whole year. And I think that's going to make great humans and everybody's going to learn the parts of the cell and what the mitochondria do. And it's going to be okay. It's actually really going to be okay. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.